Hello and welcome to the Armin Show podcast. Science, creativity, people learning more. We like to learn, connecting with people across the planet and what they are doing. If we don't figure out things, what are we doing out here in our short time? Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, whatever it might be, wherever, Spotify, YouTube. On this episode here, we have two guests, which is the favorite on here. We like panels. We like multiple people, collaboration in some form. This is what I've been a fan of for over 10, 20, 30 years, my whole existence. And the two authors, co-collaborators, if you will, of this book, Citizens, I'm doing better at showcasing things, right? It is called Citizens. It is John Alexander and Ariane Conrad. We all have a copy of the book. Why the key to fixing everything is all of us. Both of you, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I'm glad to have you both on. I am coming from Los Angeles. John is in London and Ariana is in Berlin. So global in a way. Colorful cover, great concept. I've always talked about creation over consumption for a long time. I've made content across blogs and every single social media that showed up. Even if it wasn't successful, I had a theme underneath all my content, which was I just make things I'm trying to express. I'm not on the scrolling side. I'm on the creation side, which is like it puts the power in your hands. That's one thing I related with here. And I relate with both of you because John has a lot of passion for the message here of being a citizen versus a subject, someone that is uh, compelled by the outside force repeatedly like reacting. And Ariane, as a supporter of this, I've always been a builder of certain people. I've also put people together in relationships sometimes. Ariana does this in the book category. She is the book doula. First, I will go to Ariana actually in relation to that. How did you meet John and what is a book doula? Wow, starting with me, thank you. Um, a doula, um, you might know, is um, a person, like a midwife, right, who delivers babies. And um, when I finished the first book that I ever uh, helped bring into the world, it had taken just about nine and a half months. Uh, and it felt kind of, even though I've never gone through the um, baby, baby bearing journey, uh, uh, it felt like there was a parallel there. So the book doula brings um, books into the world in that same way. I support authors um, intellectually and emotionally. Um, doing a book is a uh, intimidating um, process and um, lots of people need, you know, holding and encouraging and cheerleading as well as just the technical editing and making the sentences sound good and um, things like that. And I met John uh, 2015, 2016, 2016 at a um, gathering. It was like a global gathering for, at the time, the very up and coming collaborative economy space, also called the sharing economy space, which as we talk about in the book a little bit, ultimately devolved and um, kind of went the way of business as usual when Airbnb and Uber kind of took over the game. But in the beginning, it was a really hopeful, beautiful space full of um, very creative, collaborative people who thought that um, we might lessen our consumption, you know, create relationships through this new economic 
model, set of models. Um, and yeah, so good for the planet, good for good for people. That didn't quite happen, but I met John, so win. Win. That's cool stuff. We have these brief moments where we meet somebody and it's like, how did that happen? But afterwards, it's like, good thing that happened. And that's like a big fork in the road in a way. Wonderful feature. John, you're the person on the other end of that meeting. Tell me about that. And also, um, what got you into, well, why would you go to such an event? Is the goal to meet people? What's the idea? Great question. Uh, so I, yeah, I mean, when, back in 2016, I guess I, I've been working with the ideas that have come to sort of be pulled together in the book for a couple of years by that point. Um, but in some ways at that stage, I was I was wondering if the world was sort of fixing itself, that, 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 or rather that technology was going to fix it for us, that the that, that technology would save us. And this phenomenon of the sharing economy looked like it was going to do that. Um, and the, as Ariana says, the, the, these, these, these apps that, that, that promise to sort of uh, enable every transaction to become a relationship instead. And, and that was really the sort of the excitement of WeShare. And so I, I went to the, the, the gathering was called the WeShare Fest in Paris, in France. And I went along to that. I guess with the ideas in, that I was working with, uh, as I say, taking shape, but also wanting to learn and experience uh, what the promise of this uh, new wave of technology was. And, and also to meet people. I mean, the, the vibe of it just, just came across as really fun. It was in a big circus tent by the Canal Saint-Martin in Paris. It was like, yeah, that's, that's going to be a nice couple of days. And then, and then very early in the conference, um, Ariana was one of the sort of, uh, I think you were helping to organize or, or, helping, or hosting some of, the, some of the event. And she was, uh, she was stood there on stage in this, in this amazing red dress, looking like the, the, the power of the whole, uh, the whole conference. That this was like, this was the being that would save us all. Uh, and so I, I, I did the did the did the did the game. How is this lady? And looked her up, and then and found the book dealer, and was like, "Okay, hang on. This is this is this is what I this is what I might need to figure out if I uh, if these ideas are actually worth putting out into the world in, in some shape or not. This this might be uh, this might be the the missing ingredient." <laughs> On the internet in 2022, she would be the main character. That's what it's referred to as. And so she was the main character up there. And you notice that this actually matches the theme here. But that's a good point. Should should we all feel like we are the main character in life, Ariana? Huh. Well, you know, that's a funny thing that you, you asked that question, Armin, because we have been talking about um, the the story of the hero quite a bit. Um, John and I recently, and I feel like heroism, um, you know, came up during the pandemic with like, you know, we had this, we were calling essential workers sort of, you know, heroes, and they are heroes, but we weren't really treating them as heroes. So we were sort of um, weaponizing heroism to make them put their lives on the line, right? Um, very unfair sort of twist in the heroic story. Um, and we've been talking a lot about uh, how heroism and the, this idea of kind of the, lo the lone hero um, fixing everything and charging in um, and having the, the silver bullet solution is an idea that comes out of clearly um, and has really thrived during what John calls 
the consumer story. Um, and it's, it's actually, I think, a story that's, that's over. So even though I, um, I appreciate being called the main character, I think um, I'm certainly somebody who uh, I enjoy staying in the background in a more supportive role. Um, for me, also, like, there's a whole aspect to that, which is about race and realizing the role of white people over history um, and that there's a need for um, those of us who benefit from white privilege to sort of you know, step back. So that's definitely the way I work with people. Um, and I would say, you know, in, in talking about what the citizen is and the way that the citizen era functions, which John can talk much more about, um, it's not so much about the lone hero and the sole hero and the main character. It's about really all, all of us, all of us being um, smarter than any of us. There's a collaborative effort. It's like a cooperation of sorts that's related to Nicola Rehani and her book about cooperation and the concepts you had shared there. I had spoken with her before, and I was like, okay, from fish we can now take much more than we would have thought just from looking at fish. They have dealings and such and working with each other that we can adapt in some way. John, what is it about collaboration and cooperation you'd like to see more of? What does Citizens represent? Why is this book here? Why is this book here? Why do you exist? <laughs> we've, had the, we've had the nice, the nice warm, smooth introductions. <laughs> no, I, I, um, so, uh, the, I mean, it's wonderful that you mentioned Nic Nicola's book. Nicola and I know, know one another a bit, and I dr I've drawn on her work through over the last 10 years, really, to, to, uh, as, a, as a counterpoint and as a, as a sort of construction point for my own. I think this idea that I, I really love, I particularly love um, those of you who haven't listened to Armand's episode with Nicola or, or read her book. She wrote a book called The Social Instinct. And uh, she comes from a background in evolutionary biology and, uh, and evolutionary behavior. And I think I love the title of that because of the, 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 the counterpoint of it to, to Richard, the, the title of Richard Dawkins' famous book, The, the Selfish Gene. And I think that the, the way of it, the, what she's doing with that work and expressing that, like just because, yes, genes may be selfish in the sense that, that, genes want, that, that if genes have a, can be said to have a desire, it's to, to pass themselves on and perpetuate. But actually, that one of the strongest like, survival strategies through, through every species on, uh, on the planet is, is cooperation. And I think um, a big part of what we're doing with this book is saying... Look, actually, this is the deep story of humanity. Like, the deepest story of humanity, the deepest truth of us is that we are, by nature, collaborative, caring, creative creatures. This is, this is who we are and what we want to do in the world. And, and goes way back before, into our history, before, before writing and kings and all of this sort of stuff. And, and, and actually, now is a moment in time when, uh, when we have an opportunity and perhaps a necessity probably go so far as to say a necessity to actually step into that deeper story of ourselves. So the, the, book, the book really is a, is a diagnosis of the moment in time we're living in and, a, and, an, offer, and an attempt to offer a possible future. It's a, it's a, it's a way of, what, I, what we're saying I think is we're living in a moment when um, the stories we tell ourselves or we have been telling ourselves for the last, certainly for the last 80 years, arguably for the last uh, 12,000 years, have, have reached their, the, the end of their useful life. 
the, the, the idea of people as subjects, as people who have stuff done to them, as people who should keep their heads down and do as they're told because the God-given few will lead us to a better society that, that arguably dominated for thousands of years, certainly the last few hundred until the, the two world wars, is certainly way past its sell-by date. But because its bargain is, is protection in return for obedience and, and, and its offer is of safety in times of chaos, it's, it's having a resurgence. And, yet, and then the second story that we talk about, the, 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 the consumer story, this is the story that's dominated since the two world wars. When, when the subject story collapsed due to the rise of the middle class, the Industrial Revolution, the consumer story took over and was more or less deliberately constructed. And the consumer story said, look out for number one, get the best deal for yourself. And if everyone pursues self-interest, individual self-interest, that will add up to collective interest. That, that will result in the best outcomes for society as a whole. And that story is now collapsing in on itself because it, it simply can't hold in a world where, where, we, where we're beset by ecological crisis. A story that says that the, 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 the right thing to do is to look out for yourself as an individual simply can't hold because we need cooperation and collaboration. In a story where, in a society where we're beset by an epidemic of loneliness and, and poor mental health, we're stuck in a story that says that we're individuals who should stand alone, and that simply can't hold. We need caring and, and, and connection. And so this, this idea is really saying, what if we see this moment not just as, um, as how, do we fix, how do we fix the world from where we are? Who are our heroes going to be, as you've so beautifully drawn out in Ariana? But... but actually how do we reclaim a bigger and deeper idea of ourselves and all be part of figuring out what it is we need to do from here. You mentioned an important point here that relates multiple themes connecting with Ariana here. Story is compelling. She helps build stories. And I noticed a theme from her that it's uh, for her behind the scenes, like a force underneath that pushes something, which is kind of what a story does in society. It does, it's not the directly communicated thing. It's the story, it's the message underneath that everybody is acting upon, but maybe not so aware of. When it comes to that idea, Ariane, how important is it that the story is reframed? Can it be reframed? And should it be like that where it's uh, a base for society and then people just kind of, it's like riding on the wave of that story? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to loop John in here in a moment because they are actually, I think, um, I have become, through collaborating with John, more of an expert on um, the kind of story he's talking about in Citizens, which is um, the way some people talk about worldview or paradigm or, um, uh, well, let's just leave both of those words there. Uh, narrative is the last one I was thinking about. Um, and there are you know, people really looking at um, narrative change. And I would say that although I'm working on books and you would think that books are about narrative change, um, the kinds of, I mean, first of all, and you know, one title for this book, actually, the working title for a long time was The Citizen Revelation, not Citizens, but The Citizen Revelation, which our um, editor, our fine editor, decided was just too, too much, too many syllables. But um, because what one of the things that's really exciting about John's work, um, when he describes it, when he described it to me as we were developing the book, is that there's this moment when people see the current story that we are 
currently trapped inside of, right? Which is the, the citizen story is the dominant story that we're trapped inside of. And when John and his team at the New Citizenship Project work with people and get them alone to see the story, right? It's like this, it's like the matrix moment, right? Which is like, you, you, <laughs> you, you can't, you can't see it. It's like, the, you know, it's like the water, the, the, the water that you're swimming in um, as the, as Nicola's fish. Um, uh, and, um, and so that, that piece of work, just seeing it is a huge part of the change. And then there's like having, having really seen it holding a new story, which is a whole process of itself to sort of, you know, develop and then live into and step into the new, the new story which John is much better at talking about. So I'm handing it over to him. No, I mean, I think um, it's actually really interesting because we had, we had, this was one of the, um, one of the dynamics of our relationship in writing the book was, was actually sort of contesting some of the ways to describe these concepts a bit between ourselves, because I, I came in pretty convinced by the idea of talking about these things as stories and talking about a shift from subject to consumer to citizen. And Ariana, I think, really challenged that and was like, you, you, if you're going to talk about that, you've got to be really clear on what kind of story this is. And I think that's, that the discipline of that challenge is what took us into these ideas about, um, about paradigm, about paradigm shift, and the, the work of Danella Meadows in particular on, on, on systems thinking and the role of paradigms as, the, as what she calls the sources of systems. And, and, and we're also into the work of um, the Berkeley uh, sociologist, Ali, Ali Russell Hochschild, who, who, who in her book on, which is very relevant to, um, to the US audience for this, she wrote a book called Strangers in Their Own Land. Uh, after having worked in countries all over the world as a sociologist, she went and embedded herself in Louisiana and in, in the Deep South in, in, the, in 2014 and 2015 and, and came out with this because she felt that her own country people had become alien to her and, and, and came out with this conception of what she started to call a deep story, a story that, that people appeal to to understand their situation and, and use to construct uh, their their ideas of what's right and wrong to, to this idea of like humans as inherently collaborative, creative, caring creatures. It's 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 to the stories that they live in. It's to, to the deep stories that we live in that we appeal in order to understand who to care for, who to collaborate with, what what to create. And and Hofschild and and Donella Meadows, I think, were probably the. And then, and then also huge other, many other influences. Thomas Berry, the the, the Catholic uh, theologian and 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 um, and thinker, uh, Bayo Kamalafe, the contemporary Nigerian philosopher. We we drew on a lot of these things that through really kind of arguing out between us whether story was the right kind of concept to play with. And I think we ended up sort of we, we tried various things, but and, and ended up back back with it, but much more kind of solidly standing and understanding what it was we meant. And I think that that discipline of, of really going, no, 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 the, the, this is a particular kind of story that, as you say, Armin, sort of sits underneath, that, 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 that pushes itself through into our lives in so many different ways without us really knowing it, I think is a, I hope is, is, a, is a major kind of gift of, the, gift of the book as an offer to people to be able to see, the, see those dynamics in action. Um, so yeah, stories, stories matter very deeply. But I think we can, 
we can we can say that uh, too lightly and not really understand what we mean when we're saying it. One thing that comes to mind there is behind a story is usually a could be a writer, but we'll call it a producer in this case. I recently saw a talk where an artist was saying how artists are known, but then the producer behind the scenes is usually not known. And they might be a reason why an album was formulated a certain way. And if not for them, these eight songs would not be there or they wouldn't have collaborated with that person. But you can't really point to that because all you see at the end is the result after the fact. Ariana, do you think of any, are there any producers that have created the stories we ascribe to behind the scenes that have been difficult to point to in the past? Does anything come to mind in that category? Well, another another very incisive question. Um, you know, John and I, one of the, my provocations to John when we had these very conversations that he was just talking about um, was like, who's the bad guy here? Like, you know, people, people like, inherent as you just said in you know the concept of a of a story is who's telling the story who is like do we have somebody to, to pin these stories on um, and we went around and around about uh, around that um, and you know these kinds of stories they may have some figures um, who champion them for their own self-interest at the beginning. So in terms of the consumer story, for example, we highlight the work of Edward Bernays, who is the nephew of Sigmund Freud, who really created the PR industry, right? And viewed everything through that lens of sort of manipulating human behavior. Um, and so certainly there were key individuals um, who, who helped architect the stories that we're living in, but stories have a life of their own at a certain point. And they keep on, you know, snowballing, and um, and they're self-reinforcing. And the more that they then take hold, and the more people are believing in them. Like one of the things that I think is fascinating with John's um, opportunity right now to talk about the book is just watching him take um, things that are happening, right, current events, and see them through the lens of um, subject consumer citizen and see them through the lens of the story and I'm constantly struck now having like worked on this with him by like ooh that's I'll like sort of say to myself that's like that's the consumer tainting this that's the consumer tainting this as well um, I can you know I can see that now but in any case um, I feel like it's there are there are many hands you know involved in the mix and ultimately at a certain point we're we're also um, implicit. We are also co collaborating, you know, with with upholding and upholding the stories. We, we are. We we can't, especially when we can't see the stories for what they are. We have a tendency to to, to continue their their life. I think that's right. I think um, I think we're living in in this time. It's it's so easy to. Uh, it's, it's one of the things about stories is it's very difficult to construct them without heroes as well. And one of the decisions we made in the opening of the book was to hero, uh, ironically, because the closing of the book is about the anti-hero. We sort of made this decision to hero five emblematic citizens and tell their kind of individual stories. But in, but at the same time, the, the the people we chose were, were quite deliberately sort of 
fairly, fairly like very relatable characters. And we're, I think a big part of what we're trying to do with that is say, like, not just that, um, that we need a different kind of hero in this moment in time, which is part of it, because the, the sort of founding stories of the, of the heroes of the consumer era all made us feel like we, we, we were, we were, they were exceptional humans and we were nothing like them. Whereas I think the, the stories of the heroes of the citizen era are, are, are the stories of every, every man. And that, every woman, every person, and I think that the, the within that then lies the point that that actually the the, the the citizen era will only come into existence fully when when we all feel so, not just like the heroes of our own stories, which is sort of the consumer vibe, able to act and encouraged to act, but also like it, that it's incumbent upon us to encourage others to act as well. Like the the true sort of role of a, ch of, a, of a champion in this time is to is to open the door and pass the mic and and, and bring others in, not just to, not just to, not to ride to the rescue. And I think that's um, that that's that's kind of a critical point about like what, it, what we need to be and do in this time. It's not. It's not about identifying the right solution and providing it. It's about. It's about creating the space for everyone to step into their own agency. I really love. There's another to cite another author. I'm in danger of like recommending lots of other people's books rather than my own in this uh, in this conversation. But I, and, and and by the way, read all of other, Ariana's other books rather than mine as well. <laughs> but. Um, there was one, one that I really love, uh, a guy called Cormac Russell, who's an Irish uh, democracy thinker and, and practitioner, like grassroots democracy thinker and practitioner, has this lovely metaphor. He talks about um, helping while walking backwards as opposed to helping while walking forwards. And what he means is like, if you, if you help by walking forwards, you're sort of pushing your agency into that space. Um, whereas if you help by walking backwards, you're, you're increasing the space for the person in question throughout, and, and, and your, your, your destination in helping while walking backwards is, is you being removed from the scene. And I think that's a, I find that a really important thing to put into place. And just, and just, just on the Ariana sort of through the through the hook of the like seeing the subject consumer and citizen stories in the moments we're living in, I've been really struck recently, like as we all have, like staring at the tragedies and the and, and the triumphs as well of what's going on in Ukraine at the moment and seeing that seeing the subject story so clearly embodied by Putin and, and the leadership story he's trying to sell uh, and 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 to some extent like I worry for, for us as the West because I see the consumer story still too present in 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 the way in Biden's speech in Warsaw and the way the German Chancellor is trying to sort of is feeling is defining his duty to his people, and then I see Zelensky leading this sort of deeply citizen fashion, you know, appealing to the to the people of of Ukraine, but also to the people of Russia and, and to the people of the world, and, and and giving us all agency in this. And I think that it's it, it becomes very. Um, I think this is the power of it, like being able to see those things and, and hold them as counterpoints, and it's and 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 be able to recognize the dynamics that are going on there and, and know that we have some degree of choice in that as well. I think that's what I would hope the gift of the book might be. Agency is a big deal. I've looked at this my whole existence. It makes me think of the story I've told myself. I've always had good self-esteem and I've seen other people who didn't have that and then it limited them forever. And then every other thing they did was on top of this base of lower self-esteem, you could just see. 
that story is a big deal there. If it comes to mind, take us through one story that you cover here and where in the world it is involved that that happened. You're going to do Taiwan? You're going to do Taiwan, right? <laughs> I mean, look, the, the, the story of the Taiwanese government over the last decade is, is completely... Uh, it's the story in the book that made me go, this, this is real and happening and, and could and could actually take hold as the, as the story of our society. And uh, it, was, it starts back in 2012. The, um, the government at that time was essentially trying to sort of uh, hold, hold power and centralise power under the guise of the consumer story. And, and, and they, they, they set up what they called the Economic Power Plan. And they, they produced television commercials, which... This almost word for word quote said things like, um, let's not waste time talking about policies and complicated things like that. Let's uh, instead, we'll, grow, we'll concentrate on growing the economy and you get on with your lives, which is sort of shush little people just go shopping in the language of the book. And, and the response to this uh, initially was, um, was a, a hacker movement uh, started to form and they called themselves GovZero. And what they did initially was they built parallel websites to government websites with the URLs g0v.tw, hence GovZero. And what these websites allowed was for people to engage uh, and, and experience the possibility of engagement and agency in relation to government in a whole different way, being able to comment on and upvote and downvote and sort of understand uh, the, the data in relation to government rather than being told, rather than, rather than the message being shush, just go shopping. And, and people and the, the audience for this grew, and then 2014 came, and uh, the government tried to rush through a trade deal with mainland China under the under the sort of banner of the Economic Power Up Plan. Uh, and students occupied students who'd been using many of whom had been using these GovZero websites occupied the parliament, and the GovZero team uh, got a broadband connection and started streaming what the students were doing in the parliament across the country through social media and then broadcast media. And what they were doing was debating the clauses of the trade bill. They, and, 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 and people began to see this and the conversation grew. And then pressure came on the, the Speaker of the Parliament uh, to boot the protesters out. And everyone thought he would. It's the most obvious thing to do. He was a member of the governing party by political affiliation. But he didn't. He said, this is what democracy looks like. This, this is, this is it's a space where the people are exerting agency, the people are expressing agency and, that, and, and, and scrutinizing a trade bill that will shape all of their lives. And that's what this space should be used for. And in that moment, really, the whole story flipped because the, the story moved from one where the government has agency over some things and we just have agency over our individual lives to one where we all have agency together to shape the society we want to be part of. They all have agency together. We in the UK probably don't right now. Um, but uh, but that, after that moment, things were never, have never been the same since. So you, within six months, there were, um, the, the students left the parliament, uh, the, the speaker committed that the trade bill would get due scrutiny and then it got rejected. Uh, within six months, there were municipal elections and candidates from across the country who'd stood by the protesters were elected, often from nowhere in the standings. Uh, after that, one of the leaders of the hacker movement was invited to become a mentor to a government minister. Two years on, in 2016, there were presidential elections, and that person, uh, Audrey Tang, who features heavily in the book, um, was made a minister in her own right. 
uh, and then and then that a lot of that group were in charge of the country's COVID response, which has been again rooted in this idea of of actually. And I guess maybe the central idea of the book in this in this notion of like tapping into the ideas and energy and resources of everyone. If you start from the belief that people are collaborative, caring, creative, capable creatures, then then the role of a government or an organisation of any sort is to tap into the capabilities and the creativity of, of those people. And that's how they battled, that's how they've taken on COVID, even, even now as they try and shift to, uh, to, to living with in, in, in some ways. They, they're still doing the same thing. And I think I mean, my favourite story from that first phase of COVID was they, uh, they set up a phone line where any citizen could ring in with an idea for how the country's response could be better. And a six-year-old boy rang up and said, uh, said um, the boys in my class don't want to wear their face masks because they're pink and they think they're girly, so you need to do something to make pink face masks cool. And I think you should work with the baseball team. And, uh, and three days later, then, half the time, his baseball team, the president and the little boy all on the national press conference resplendent in their pink face masks. And it's just this, this, this idea of, like, I think, I think we live in a moment when we can... You're picking up on this idea of agency, which I think is absolutely central. We, we sort of, we're, we're in danger of being in a cycle where uh, our leaders put too little trust in us um, and give us too little agency. We kick back by seeking agency where we have it, uh, and when, when the only expression of our agency is a referendum or a, or a one in the next year's vote, then we, we use that to, to fight rather than to build. Um, and, and in response to that, our leaders trust us less again. And so we risk being in a kind of vicious circle in this way, where, and, and then, and where people are then leaders and, and, and would-be leaders are then tempted to, to occupy that space by, by turning us against one another and dividing us, when actually there's a huge opportunity just to look at this a whole other way and go, if we put our trust in people, if we give people agency, if we, if we put more power in more people's hands, more and more diverse people's hands, then actually that's the way we'll build the better society. I think, I think it's... it's it's sort of the, the frustration of this work is that in some ways, once you see it, it's so obvious. Uh, but until you see it, it feels so distant from where we are right now. On this topic of agency, what comes to mind, Ariane, as a way that the average person can increase their self-agency? Uh, are they out of luck if they haven't had that experience in their life up until now? Can they become more like the people who take things more into their own hands? What's your view on that? Wow, I feel I feel a little out of my my depth there. I feel like um, we need a um, psychologist Ariana or a sociologist Ariana or something um, to, to talk. I think I think one of the things we talked about in the book that you should you, that you brought huge amounts into was the was the ideas of home. And kind of finding belonging, which I think yeah. is a huge part yeah. of this. Maybe you could say some of the inspirations you brought. Yeah, yeah. From there. thanks, John. That's a, that's that's true. I mean, so you know, one of the things that we talk about is um, the, the the very first thing uh, that one needs to do is identify the realm um, in which 
you can, in, about which you're passionate and where you have some power. Some, some of us have um, less power than others, particularly in certain spaces. So that may be your neighborhood, but it may also not be your neighborhood. Um, it may be some sort of, maybe a field um, in which you see that something needs to change. It may be, um, you know, it may be your workplace, but again, you may not have power in your workplace. So um, finding finding the, this, this sort of space, and this is a little bit different than home and belonging, which have more to do with um, where you have the passion and you feel the motivation and you feel a sense of connection. We qu quoted some beautiful work. Um, one of my favorite authors is a man named Stephen Jenkinson. Um, he wrote a book called Die Wise, which is a true favorite of mine. And um, he works, part of his work is with people at the end of their lives. Um, and just seeing how in Western cultures, people at the ends of their lives are often in such a lost space um, and particularly uh, white folks and um, white folks who have descended from colonizers who are therefore far from their roots, right? It's colonizer settlers are, are far from their roots. He contrasts this to what he knows from having worked with um, his Canadian, this writer, Stephen Jenkinson, what he knows from having worked with um, indigenous people indigenous Canadians where there is this, you know, it, that is what it is to be indigenous is to, you know, feel you belong to the land um, and have this relationship with your land. And so um, Jenkinson talks about, um, it's a very active process. This process of, of connecting and really building a relationship to home is something that we, that we don't think about. And I loved John, in your conversation with Baratunde Thurston, um, the conversation about real estate and housing and homes and how we have this tendency to put that, that's another tainting from the consumer story, right? Is that the fact that a lot, of, a lot of people buy real estate, which is already this weird word that kind of like removes you from the sense of home um, and thinks about like speculation and investment as opposed to rooting and belonging and grounding. And then we also, so that's Stephen Jenkinson's work, his orphan orphan wisdom work. He he calls um, descendants of settler colonizers orphans um, because we have lost we have lost really that that connection. And then we also talk about Brene Brown's work, who I'm sure all of your listeners are familiar with her work. Um, and she wrote that one book on belonging, the name of which is escaping me right now. Um, in which he also talks about belonging as this really active choice. So in terms of, I guess, like that's, that's a great, great, great way to answer this question, not being a psychologist, um, in terms of like how to, how to build agency, I think is really that work of, of belonging. In Brene Brown's language, she talks about, um, you know, sometimes we, we fool ourselves into thinking that belonging is like this passive thing that, we actually mute our individuality in order to belong, right? To belong to like, you know, a group, um, you become less yourself. And she's like, it's the exact opposite. The true way of belonging is being, you know, the, the most of yourself, being brave, exactly. Like stepping forward, being fully yourself, and then allowing that to connect you to the, the, the places and the people where you really belong. One follow-up to that actually is, as 
you mentioned uh, working with where you have power or taking with what is applicable. I was talking about this a couple of days ago. You can't really work with the things that aren't there or aren't skills. There's nothing to do there, but the things that are there or built-in abilities do bring that in the book world where you see, okay, this writer has these four positive qualities. I will help enunciate them versus like if there's something's missing, there's only so much you can do with that, right? Like how are you going to propel that forward? What are your thoughts on that? I'm definitely a strengths-based person. So yeah, like, I mean, you know, my work is always different um, and it's all about where that person's um, confidence areas are and um, and figuring out how we're going to work, work with those. Uh, and yeah, you know, arrange them to, to, to make the most impact, essentially lever leverage them. It makes me think though of the other thing that I'm really fond of in that um, early section of the book, which is about um, experts versus amateurs um, and how one of the things that's very citizen is that in the, in the past, we've had these people in charge of everything and they all kind of have the same education like a lot of them literally have the same degrees at the same schools, right? The people in parliament in the UK and in Congress in the US, right? Like also other kinds of decision makers in other realms. And um, one of the things in the citizen story is that like the amateur is welcome. And in fact, the amateur, somebody from outside the field might be able to see things that people, you know, with that same training, that same, who took that same path, who have that same lived experience would never see, right? And so when we open things up to amateur involvement, we get this rich abundance of, of you know, new ideas and new, new paths. I was also talking about that like uh, two, three weeks ago about how, let's say there's an office and people have been working there for 30 years. And they're like, uh, somebody comes up that's new and they've been there for a month and they bring up some changes that nobody's done in 20 years. And then this person was saying, oh, isn't that shocking? And I said, no, it's not shocking because the person who's been there for 30 years, they probably have all these relationships and limitations where they're not going to say anything. I don't want to mess up what's going on. Whereas the person that just showed up is like, one, they see it very clearly because we have our reticular activation system that notices differences that have happened. So it's like, oh, that's not good. That's not functional. And they also don't have all these ties that they're like locked into that... If they say this, then John's going to be annoyed and Melissa is going to have some sort of plan. So I always think about it that way. They would be more likely. So when you bring in, it's like a multidisciplinary sense, suddenly you get way more growth in a short period than you could have ever gotten. You might have left that company for 50 more years. And if you didn't bring in anything, it would have remained the same because there's no compelling force to change it. On that one, John, where does the compelling force to change things come from? Is it like the human condition that any new individual in a group or varied others will come and bring the change? Is that the only way? You have some really rich questions, Armin. You're like, you're like, where are we going next? It's like, ah! Um, where does the compelling force for change come from? You know, I think... Um, I'm really, I'm really fond, I'm really, I was, we, we, as I say, we did a lot of work around the concepts of story. And when we came back to these ideas of story and paradigm, 
and I went back into the work of Thomas Kuhn, the, the sort of work on the, the, the structure of scientific revolutions, that sort of famous book. And I came across this bit in it where he talks about, um, essentially, and we, we paraphrased it in the book, but so, you, the point, one of the key points he makes is you can't have paradigm shift without paradigm to shift to. And I think that that sort of idea that um, the, the compelling force for change cannot just be a rejection or a failure of the existing. That, that's, it's not enough. Um, the compelling force for change it also has to be the availability of a new, of a new or different. And I think that, um, that the Taiwanese example speaks very powerfully to it, you know, like very literally with the creation of Gut Zero. It also reminds me of the Buckminster Fuller quote, you know, the one of like, uh, you can't, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change things, create a new reality that makes the old one obsolete. And I think, um, like, what I loved about the process of writing the book, and, and, and ultimately, like, that's, that's the point of writing the book, is to say, like, we need to be able to see that things could be different, that there is another coherent option. Because otherwise, if the only coherent options we can see are the consumer story and kind of a, a world where Elon Musk uh, owns the global reserve currency, which is sort of feels like is the, the next stage of the consumer story, and the, if the only alternative to that is a sort of is a state state surveillance China, then then we're, when we sort of go to the Musk world, or, or maybe some go to the China world because they reject the Musk world. But where those two feel like they are only options, there is there is a compelling force for change that comes from rejection. But the only option available is some is a is a is a retrograde step. And so the compelling force for change has to come from the availability of a new as well. And, and I think that. One of the um, one of the big things for me in, in the book and in the dynamic between Ariana and myself was was um, I think and she's spoken to it a little bit and hinted at it in what she was saying about belonging just now but like the, that that story when it's only constructed from from a view from within from from someone who looks and sounds like me. <laughs> Um, is, is, is incomplete. And I think the, 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 a big part of the process of the book was Ariana. Uh, so I, I had some of the kind of core frames, the, the, the subject consumer and citizen were there, as it were, as, as language. And I, and I had some sense of it and was talking about some of these shifts and had been working with the ideas for several years. But it was only when, like, when we started working together that, that I could, that Ariana was challenging me to go, like, you've got to see the, the, the richness from the outside of this, the, you've got to see that, that, that it's not just the, the, the people, in, the marginalised folks who, who need to be offered power, need their power increased to be able to create the story. It's also that the, the, the white folks like you, the, 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 the white guys, the straight white guys have, a, have an awful lot to learn to be able to liberate, to be able to liberate themselves from their own like, limitations of belief, from their, from their orphanness. And I, and I think, um, so I guess the reason why I'm going there is just to go, like, I think the, the compelling force for change has to be a, a, a site of the new uh, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a coherent, a reasonably coherent, it doesn't have to be fixed and, and, and finished, but it needs to be coherent enough to feel safe to step into. And then, and then it also requires the humility on, on the part of those who will be in the positions of power to be able to say, We've got a lot to learn, 
um, because the the the, the rest, uh, there can be a restraining factor. The thing that the if the if the compelling force for check for change has to come from from an articulation of the new, the 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 deepest barrier that has to be removed is the ego of those who would otherwise say, try and save us. And and I think like I also take the just to be really clear what I'm saying, like I'm, I'm, I almost think that, well, I do think actually that, that the, the rise of authoritarian is, of authoritarianism is actually a lot less dangerous uh, than the hero complex that that rise of authoritarianism cues in those who position themselves as defenders of the status quo. Because I think like the, the, the deeper risk is that we will believe that we need to defend what we have, because that is precise that 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 defence, rather than the humility and the, and the and the willingness to explore and step into the new, is actually the, is ultimately the thing that will drive us into the arms of the old story. I had this visual I gave to somebody recently about how, in relationships, when there is one of the individuals, let's say a guy in this example who's like grabbing, oh, I must hold on to this person and keep them from everything, and like what. You destroy it in the process, putting things in a box in a way kills the thing in the box. And that wasn't, why would you even want the thing in the box at that point? You've messed it up. So it's like a canceling, right? <laughs> you, you can't breathe anymore. You put like a rabbit in there, something that's not, that's not what we're meant for. And so same thing with, yeah, concept. If you do that, you kill the concept and anybody coming around that energy passes on to them, like they should do it too. It's a limiting force versus the other one is I have my uh, being, I have my representation. And if you want to, let's say you wanted to counter the book, write your own thoughts, put your own message out there uh, versus just saying, this is no good. Cause that's like a pull back to nothing, which is uh, what kind of goal is that? Always pulling back to the nothing versus uh, rising up, maybe the person needs to help pull them up, but still, uh, this is cooler than dropping back to that force. I like that concept right there. On this one, I would like to say, Ariana, what would you say is a broader theme of your book support that you have done? And is there any messages you are trying to express through your position as a supportive figure for writers? Um, well, I, uh, I am, I am a fan of working with very brave people. <laughs> uh, I, I think I could, um, categorize, uh, the, the folks that I've collaborated with that way. Um, I've forgotten the second part of your question. One, oh, yeah, yeah, and like, is there a theme that you are trying to present in your authorship? You're working with brave people. Is there any things you are? Uh, um, you know, uh, it's um, I'm, I'm, you know, <laughs> I don't want you to think about these questions because I can see, I can see the faces of all of you. <laughs> 
of her authors flitting past her eyes, and and the, and the, and, the, and, the, and I know her kind of uh, her her unwillingness, her rejection of sort of generalising us because she she loves she loves each and all of us so much. It's it's funny. I can see all of those things in her eyes. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm buying you some time, but I, 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 I think um, one of the reasons I was drawn to Ariana's fold, I think, was because um, because I think so many of the stories, and I'm really honoured that, that she she was up for working with me because a lot of the I, I'm I'm I'm, a, I'm pretty rare in her in her fold as a as a as a as a white man, basically. Um, she, she tends to draw out the stories of people of colour, of, of, of women, particularly of women, of those who've been marginalised in some way, and, 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 be, and be someone who gives them amazing power. Um, and it's one of the reasons, I, I mean, Ariane, you'll, 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 I'm sure you'll be reflecting on to speak for yourself far more now, <laughs> but one of the ways I would reflect on Irish, one of the reasons I really wanted uh, to, to make sure Ariana was on the cover of this book was because of that. Like, I think I am, I am a different kind of uh, character to, and, and in a different position to some of those. There she is, right there, uh, on that cover. Thanks, Evan. But it, it's, um, I think, I think I would see, I would say, and the, and the reason I was so drawn to her work is. Is the, is the sort of theme of exploring power. Um, I think, and I, and I think that's, I don't think I consciously knew that's what I was trying to do when I started out. And I'm not even sure, I'd love to know your reflection on whether you think that's something you're trying to do. But, um, but it's certain, uh, the more, there was something, and I think I, that I was unconsciously drawn to. And I think the more we've worked together, the more I think that that is, that is, what, it, that is what it is. I think power is so central in this moment in time. It's definitely a theme. Um, it's it's very helpful to have you you answer that question. Actually, what I'm, more of what I was struggling with was sounding pompous. <laughs> like I've worked with the people who are shaping history. You know? Like, <laughs> um, but you know, I have been incredibly blessed to work with super. You know, they're 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 brave. They are too. You know, everybody has brought such a huge heart um, to what they're doing, whether they're looking at um, human rights or the rights of the planet and the state of the planet or labor policies or um, new economic systems, um, you know. And, and so, um, yeah, I think... For sure. I mean, I, I have become um, somebody who reflects a lot on power dynamics and power dynamics, like um, crossed over with race and class and gender and sort of all the other intersectional um, points that exist. And it's what I am sought out for, for which I'm like I'm, I just like walk around in this bubble of gratitude for the work that I get to do and the people that I get to work with. So I think that's um, spot on that, John. You you, you mentioned that and called that out. Um, it obviously also just makes me blushy and uncomfortable and inarticulate to like talk about this stuff. So. <laughs> 
this, 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 this is why I'm the one who's like going around, going around, like going, buy my book, buy my book, because Ariana would, would not, not quite be in that line, does it? No, I say buy, nice care. I say buy the book, buy John's book, buy John's book. You say buy my book, well you wouldn't say buy my book, with the media you. Yeah. There's a... There's a nice, careful consideration there. You can see it. It's like a, uh, yeah, consideration for others and not outplaying or overplaying what they can bring to the table, which is a, without that, the other person may feel somewhat stepped on in some ways versus like, oh, okay, we're on the same stairs, uh, same stair of the stairs and can discuss things and maybe I can figure something out. That's a very necessary quality. And if it's too much oomph brought in, that might go away. The person might be like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. Versus if Ariane shows up, they might be like, today is the day I will voice something that comes to my mind. So it's like a welcoming feature. So that's necessary uh, in that capacity. Now, one thing I would like to check with John is if you had a theme you would want people to take from the book, what would that theme be for their day? for their days as they go forward? Well, I think um, to, this, to this thing about power, I think uh, a, big, a big central theme of this book is, is the idea and the acknowledgement that the, sort of, that the push to acknowledge the power that we all have and that we all express every day and that, that, and that that isn't just about the the power of those individuals, the sort of the, the five things you can do, the the, 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 the behavior changes you can make. Um, it's, it's almost explicitly not about that kind of power. It's the power that we have as potential and actual members of collectives and, 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 and collaborations. And I think um, I think the, the the question I end the book on we ended the book on, but the, the, one of the one of the few one of the few really good things that was directly from me, and then and all Ariana had to do was say, "That's really good. Let's do that." <laughs> was uh, was the, the closing of the final section where, where we I, we ended it on um, on on using Rebecca Solnit's definition of hope, and Solnit talks about the idea that that hope can be understood as distinct from optimism because optimism suggests that things will be all right no matter what we do. And hope requires an acknowledgement of uncertainty. It doesn't request the certainty of things being okay. It acknowledges and, and embraces the uncertainty that things might or might not be okay and, and sees in that uncertainty, as she calls it, the space for action. And then we'll finish the very last words of the book with a question that I, I do live by, like I try and ask myself every day and think about every day, which is, which is what would you do in this time if you, if you truly believed not just in yourself, but also in those around you. If you really looked around and went, these people who are all around me, who I come into contact with, are capable of and want to be uh, part, of, part of fixing everything. Uh, and my job is to try and unleash that. Like, if you, if you work from that basis, what would you do? And, and I do understand that that's... That, 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 that's, a, that's a question that is more challenging for some to hold than others. It's more challenging to, to stick to in particular economic circumstances. It's more, but, but also it's, it's actually 
very to this point about like the, the liberation and the, and the orphanness, it's also very challenging for people who seem to be in positions of privilege because they've been conditioned to believe that they should be the solution, not to see the solution in others. So, so yeah, so I guess if there is a if there is a theme, if there is a kind of uh, a, a message that I wouldn't want anyone to miss, it's like people are amazing. Uh, if you give them the chance to be, and if you can create the conditions for them to be, and so that's that's what we should try to do. All right, I want to point out that I was just informed by John that people are amazing. You're a people, so you're also in the amazing category. Now, um, last thing I want to check is where can people find your work, Ariane? Where might you direct them? Well, you can see all of the books that I've worked on that are that where I'm allowed to. Um, to uh, acknowledge it publicly on my website, arianaconrads.com. Um, and yeah, um, then you can click through and, and check them all out and buy them. Um, lots of lots of wonderful projects. That's cool. And John, as well, where might people locate your content? Also about the new citizenship project as well. So you can find me, uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn and Twitter, you'll find me pretty easily. My, my, my website is johnalexander.net. Uh, you can buy the book uh, everywhere in all good bookstores, I think, I hope. Uh, certainly on bookdepository.com if the availability is poor anywhere else, that, that, that seems to be working. Um, and, the, and the New Citizenship Project, I have my, my consulting business is on newcitizenship.org.uk. And the last plug I will give in, uh, in spitting, fitting spirit be, um, if there are any people uh, listening to this, watching this, who, ha who think they might have a, a big idea book in that, that, that could shape the world. Ariana, my book was born, really. It was born when we first, when we met in, at that WeShare Festival in 2016, but it really took shape on a thing called the Storia Summit that Ariana hosts uh, in October in the, on the beautiful Spanish island of Mallorca. And I think there are a few spots still available if there are, if there are, if there are budding authors in the, in the audience for this. So uh, check out storiasummit.com as well. Along with people who host things, write things, create things, the whole package. John, Ariane, I would like to thank you both for joining on this episode and sharing some insights from both citizens and your own work. Thanks so much. Awesome Thank you, Fabulous. Fabulous. Wonderful. And we are out.